I've shared this in the past, but this time of year hasn't always been my favorite. Uh, growing up with pastor parents meant a lot of times spent at the church building preparing for the busiest time of the year. And, and with all the stressors that come up for people, it also meant a lot of nights where they were out counseling people and helping folks through all the difficulty that they were experiencing. Growing up, I didn't understand why we put so much importance on celebrating Christmas the way that we celebrated, when Jesus most likely wasn't even born in December, or why that was one of the few times people actually showed up to a church service. It made no sense to me. So I pretty much went full-on Scrooge for a while. Didn't want a Christmas tree, didn't want to hang lights, didn't want to buy gifts for people. I mean, I, mean, I was fine receiving the gifts, but I didn't want to give them. Uh, bitterness toward one of the only Christian holidays that pretty much everyone celebrates. All because my parents were busy and I had to go do work things with them. I had a lot of conflict with Christmas. And look at me now, doing the same thing that they do. So that's great. You know, I've lightened up a bit on the whole Christmas thing too. Uh, kids help with that. They like all the Christmas things. And I think I'm starting to as well. There's a lot to celebrate with this season. Family, friends, gratitude, generosity, kindness, joy, hope. And our focus throughout this month as we unpack the birth of Jesus, peace. As we learned last week, that is exactly what Jesus came to bring. Peace. Peace through surrender. Peace through God become human. The prophecy of the one known as the Prince of Peace. But, but I still can't help but feel the opposite of all that in a lot of moments during this time of year. I still, I still get a sense of the conflict of Christmas. You know, while the fact that both the religious and the secular celebrate this holiday is awesome, I, I can't look past the fact that the reality of everyone celebrating causes struggle. On the one hand, most of the public festivities surrounding the celebration of the birth of Christ have gone to great lengths to try and remove Christ from the picture. The background music sounds a lot more like All I Want for Christmas is You and I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, which has got to be the weirdest Christmas song ever. But gone are the days where Silent Night and Joy to the World are the predominant tunes as you walk around the store. It's even commonplace to replace the word Christ with an X in the word Christmas. That one may not be as bad as you think. Uh, X comes from the first letter of the Greek word Christos, which we get Christ from, so folks are still including Jesus, even if they don't know it. Regardless, many Christ followers tend to find all of this fairly offensive. On the other hand, folks who don't follow Jesus find all of the Jesus references that are imposed on them at Christmas to be confusing for one, like what is born to give them second birth even mean, and what the heck is a round yon virgin, and to others, it's extremely offensive, as the Christian faith is not their faith. Thus, the conflict of Christmas. But that's not the only conflict we experience this time of year. I mean, they're the obvious ones. What do we do with our finances? How much money should we spend? How much money should we give away? What do we do if we don't have enough money to give the gifts we want to give or celebrate the way we deeply desire to celebrate? We experience conflict with our time and, and how we use it during this celebratory and incredibly stressful busy season. And there's relational conflict with friends and family that inevitably comes up. Conflict, conflict, conflict. Well, I hate to do this, but let me just add another layer on for us today. 
See, many of us believe, and we'll hear throughout this series, that the coming of Christ means peace on earth. But he showed up 2,000 years ago. Where's the peace? Well, what if there's more to understand the way in which the coming of Christ means peace on earth? What if the way in which Jesus brings peace is through struggle and trouble? At most church gatherings in December, we like to hear about and talk about the peace that Jesus brings, that everything is going to be okay, that, that we're going to be all right. So we focus on these beautiful passages in Scripture, like we did last week, of all the good Jesus brings. The, the beauty of the months and weeks and days leading up to his birth and the incredible faith of the people in those stories. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We discuss the incredible nature of his birth. The, the three magi miraculously led to the birthplace by a star in the sky. Uh, the shepherds' invitations to the main, invitation to the manger by angels. Mary treasuring all these things and pondering them in her heart. And then Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. But there's more to it than that. And, and, and they're typically things that we like to avoid this time of year. Th things like what Simeon said to Mary after Jesus was born. Things like what Jesus himself said about what he really came to bring later on in his life. Things that if someone were to ask about them, we'd probably go, yeah, yeah, he said that, but we'll talk about it later. It's fine. You see, conflict isn't comfortable, but conflict is very present in the birth and life of the Prince of Peace. Open your Bibles or Bible apps to Luke chapter 2, verse 28. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. Um, after the birth of Jesus, just to give some context, after the birth of Jesus, his parents, Joseph and Mary, took him to the temple for customary Jewish newborn things without getting into details. Uh, while they were there, a righteous and devout man named Simeon, who had been given a heads up that he would not die before seeing the Messiah, came to meet Jesus. That's where we pick up in verse 28. Simeon took him, took Jesus in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. These words that Simeon spoke are known as the Nunc Dimittis and has been chanted in centur for centuries in, in worship liturgies. It usually goes something, something like this. Now, Lord, let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. Essentially, thank you, God, that I have seen the Messiah. Something that those of us who have experienced Jesus would readily show gratitude for. Thank you that I, that I get to have relationship and, and encounter and meet the Messiah. It's, it's awesome. But it's also not all that Simeon said. Let's keep reading. Verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. The child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. 
You know, I, I haven't heard many Christmas songs about these words. And this part of what Simeon said is relatively unknown and not often talked about. Why is that? Well, this kind of messes with the sweetness and light and peace on earth narrative that we like so much during Christmas, which all of that is still true, but it's not that simple. You know, I, I had this thought come to me a couple weeks ago while I was preaching in Livermore, and, and, and I stated this aside that wasn't in my notes or anything, but it felt like it, it was something that was important to say. Maybe it was, it was because some of what I was saying um, was causing some discomfort, like I could, I got a sense of that. And, and so I said something to the effect of, guys, guys, I hope we're okay with being challenged. Because while Jesus comforts us, he also challenges us. While he brings us peace, he also pushes us. All those things can exist together at the same time. I think that's some of what's going on here. I mean, I mean how, how can peace and the reality of conflict or pain or hurt exist at the same time? Well, it's kind of like when I watched my dad go through chemotherapy or surgery after he was diagnosed with cancer. The way to bring peace to his body was through pain. When he had the tumor removed, the surgeon cut him open and took something out of him because that was the only way for him to get healthy. Or, or when my therapist friends counsel people dealing with depression or grief, they often go about it by bringing up the hurt of the past and push them to confront painful memories. It's like with certain things, you have to feel worse before you can feel better. Jesus would later go as far as to say this. Flip your Bibles over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we'll look at verse 49, uh, sorry, 51, verse 51. Here's something Jesus himself said. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, which I guess we get that one, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So, 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 so let's just set this straight. The prince of peace, the prince of peace said, I did not come to bring peace, but division. Essentially, I came to bring, to bring conflict. That's what he said? Well, yeah. And some, some translations and, and accounts of this have the word sword in, listed instead of division. But Jesus quickly goes on to show that he doesn't mean he came to incite violence or that his followers should. If he did, then according to the context of what he said, it would all be violence against a person's own family. So I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at. Furthermore, the word sword in the Greek is the type of sword that is used to cut up meat, d dividing the meat from the, from the bone. Um, it's a word that was often used as a metaphor for dividing, not killing. As Pastor Timothy Keller says, Jesus did not come with a sword in his hands, but with nails through them. So, so what Jesus actually means is that his call for allegiance to him above all else brings conflict. Conflict both among people and within people. You know, just like any peacemaker who has ever lived, Jesus makes people mad and he often causes struggle and trouble. But this is the way his peace comes. So, so going off of all that, I, I want to discuss with you two ways that this concept of conflict manifests itself or maybe should manifest itself in the lives of a Christ follower. The, the first is conflict with others. 
The beginning of Simeon's prophecy over Jesus is that it will cause falling and rising and be a sign that will be spoken against. People will oppose Jesus and those who follow him, plain and simple. And last week we talked a bit about darkness and light. It's a great concept to lean into during Christmas with all the representation of lights in the darkness. In John chapter 3, Jesus says that people love darkness instead of light and hate the light because it exposes them for who they are. And we see this play out, play out all the time. Living a life of integrity and character exposes gossip in the workplace, exposes corruption from those in authority, and it calls out injustice, misogyny, racism, deceit, and abuse, that which is dark. The difficult part about this type of conflict in pursuit of peace for, for us is that it will most likely disrupt our personal peace. I still vividly remember uh, a situation in high school when a couple of buddies of mine were picking on another kid in our class. And it started with a typical teenage pestering, but, but on this specific day, it went so much further. I mean, my, my friends got ruthless. They made fun of every last perceived oddity about this poor kid. All the while, I stood to the side and nervously laughed along as tears welled up in his eyes. This was more than 20 years ago in high school, and I still remember where I was standing, what I was wearing, who was around me, and the look on that kid's face. Now, why do I remember this so well? Because it haunts me to this day. I should have said something. I should have done something. I should have stopped it. That was dark. That was evil. That was wrong. I should have brought light to that. But I didn't want the hostility to turn to me. So I stayed quiet. And I'd like to say that that was the last time I can remember a situation where I saw something unjust or wrong and didn't say or do anything about it. All too often, though, my personal peace has taken precedence over a Christ-driven pursuit of his peace. You see, when you live a Christ-centered life, it will shine light on dark things. But if we stifle that light, we allow darkness to win that conflict. Shining light on darkness will threaten the worldly status quo, and it absolutely will threaten our personal peace. You, you don't even have to be Jesus to get people mad at you for calling out darkness. As one author put it, the manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of inns. And followers of Jesus have faced hostility for thousands of years for standing against what prevents peace for people. And hostility has been their reward. This is what Jesus is referring to when he says that he did not come to bring peace, but division. And quick side note to kind of wrap this thought up. The thing we need to be aware of is when we cause division in a way that is not rooted in love. Jesus, Jesus didn't come to create an us versus them environment. Living a sacrificial, generous, selfless, surrendered life will inevitably cause conflict. But his end game, our end game, is peace on earth. If we're offensive for imposing our beliefs on if we're offensive for imposing our beliefs on people who don't believe what we believe in a hate-filled or destructive way like Christians have a history of this take the crusades for example if we do that we've missed the point of Jesus the only thing we are to impose is love and this brings us to our second bit of conflict conflict that is in importance actually so important in the life of a Christ follower and that is the conflict within. 
And I, and I believe that it's conflict that the Prince of Peace prompts. At the end of his prophecy, Simeon said to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And we know a sword pierced her precious soul as she watched her own son die on the cross, a pain that Mary had to endure. But I don't think Mary's alone in this because a sword will pass through our souls too. There will be conflict in our soul, in our hearts, because as humans, we, we deeply desire to find our worth, prove ourselves, and find our identity in what we do or what we achieve. And it's troublesome when our intrinsic humanness comes against our image of godness. There will be conflict within when we face hostility or difference in opinion or, or see culture moving in the opposite direction of Jesus and, and want to respond in anger, malice, or revenge, and, and we'll struggle with how to respond. There will be conflict within when, when we're moved toward repentance, when we have to admit that, that we're wrong, when we have to admit the things we don't want to admit, when we have to own our decisions, our, our choices, and, and our words, own our weakness, our insufficiency, our ignorance, our arrogance. I mean, I mean I'm already super good at this type of conflict, but I know some people that need some work. Kidding. Now, there will be conflict within because at a certain point, we have to admit that there are things we just don't know or won't know. And to take that conflict even further, finding a way to be okay with that, being okay that we will wrestle with God on certain things and that it won't be resolved, that we don't always understand the God of the universe or have all the answers. I think conflict within is something the Holy Spirit is teaching me daily, probably more moment to moment, really. I have convictions and beliefs that I'm so convinced of, but I feel like God is constantly putting people in my life who challenge some of those things. People who force me to wrestle, which I think is healthy. I mean, people have been wrestling with God for a while now. Israel, the name of God's chosen people, means to wrestle with God, so that's a thing. But, but I feel like I do this more often than not now. I have these people in my life who I love and trust that ask questions or make statements that move God out of the box I was convinced he belonged in. Thoughts that prompt questions, fear, lack of clarity, but also revelations that make me realize the more I get to know God, the less I feel I grasp all of who God is. And man, does it create conflict within. But it's been so good, like just good. And it's good because all of this important conflict, all of the external and internal opposition we face and endure, all of that pain, I firmly believe that it all eventually leads us to the triumph of peace. And that's who Jesus is, and it's what he brings. My prayer for us this December is that we would embrace the conflict of Christmas as we follow the Prince of Peace, the conflict that can disrupt our personal peace but pushes us toward peace on earth, the conflict within that can force us to wrestle and doubt and grow and learn. Beautiful, beautiful conflict. And to be honest with you, I, I experienced a lot of this as I prepared these words. Everything in me wanted to wrap a nice little bow on this, like a well-wrapped Christmas present. Something that would make everyone feel good. Like challenge you, but then like, okay, we're gonna, we got this. But I think it might be healthier for us to wrestle, to process and wonder and think, to, to ponder something that the Apostle Paul alluded to in his letter to the, to the Colossians. Let what is necessary for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. Well, what is necessary for the peace of Christ? What conflict must be welcomed or engaged in for peace to come forth on earth for all people, for everyone? And what part do we play?
You know, there's an old song that my dad's side of the family used to sing together after after my folks got married. Um, my mom shared it with me earlier this week, and it's it's been helpful as I've considered this whole piece through conflict thought. It goes like this, and, and I'll just leave you with this today. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be. With God as our Father, brothers and sisters, all are we. Let me walk with my brother and sister in perfect harmony. Let peace begin with me. Let this be the moment now with every step I take. Let this be my solemn vow to take each moment and live each moment in peace eternally. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so um, grateful for the conflict that you bring because I think you're sharpening us in so many ways, God, and and even though we want things to be all neat and tidy and wrapped up in a nice bow, we, we, know, we know that we already have the present. Like, we have you. That, that bow's already been tied. Because you came, Emmanuel, God with us, you're present still. So God, I ask that in the moments that we struggle and we wrestle and we try and decipher what your will is, God, that we, that we actually live that out. Father, that we are willing to disrupt our personal peace for the peace of someone else. God, that we are willing to um, conclude that maybe we don't have all the answers, that we don't know everything, that you have so much more to teach us. God, I hope I and we never feel like we arrive at some destination with you because I don't think that defines you. God, guide us and lead us in relationship with you, constantly moving and shifting and working and walking in in your footsteps, Lord. Lead us and guide us, Father. Let this be a season where we recognize some of the things that aren't the way they're supposed to be and try and figure out how you would desire for us to respond. God, we love you, we adore you, we praise you, we honor you. We're so grateful for you. And we pray all of this in the matchless, powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Wait, wait, before you go, three things. First, please consider becoming one of Cornerstone Fellowship's financial partners. Your donations will ensure that you'll be able to continue enjoying helpful, and hopefully life-changing messages like the one you just watched. And number two, please share the link to this message with anyone who you know needs it or will be blessed by it, or post the link to your own personal social platforms. And finally, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you'll be alerted whenever we post more content. Thanks for watching.